When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Spilling Royalty with Sean Mandel. So Maggie, this week, a few things happened. We got a royal Easter procession to church, how Meghan and Kate interacted in their royal walkabout after Queen Elizabeth's passing, particularly how Kate felt about that, and Mm -hmm. some advice that Meghan got from the late Queen when she joined the royal family. Plus, we have a very great guest to talk about the questions of race and the future of the royal family, Nazir Afzal. He is a former chief prosecutor in the UK. He is a chancellor of Manchester University and also an OBE, an officer of the British Empire, which he was made by Queen Elizabeth in 2005. So a lot to talk about this week. Our first OBE. Our first OBE. So without further ado, let's spill the royalty. This is Spilling Royalty, a podcast that follows the piping hot stories of the British royal family from London to Montecito, all the way to the upcoming coronation of King Charles. I'm Sean Mandel, a producer, pop culture devotee, and part-time royal correspondent. And I'm Maggie Van Dorn, the show's producer, Sean's biggest fan, and his occasional sidekick. In each episode, we will spill the tea, That's American for gossip. On the latest stories about the heir, the spare, and their kin. Tea will be served with some cultural context and history from across the pond that you can't go without. So without further ado, let's spill the royal tea. So Easter happened this week, and mm-hmm. we saw the royals on parade, as they tend to do on these big on these big outings. Uh, the Waleses. The Waleses, Prince William and Princess Kate, as she now is, their kids, all sort of wonderfully color-coordinated in shades of blue, looking uh, just very cute. And again, like the J. Crew catalog couple that they are. Uh-huh, except that Kate was very subversive in her nail color. It was a classic red. Classic in to, to many people, not to members of the royal family. People, of course, there's always some media outlet that says that this was shocking. She broke royal protocol. And There's like 10 media outlets that are saying she broke protocol. It is a classic story, and it was one that was written about Megan. And it's, you know, it's interesting that Kate is doing this now after, you know, we didn't really see her wear a lot of wild colors, uh, nail nail polish, uh, when the queen was alive, ballet slipper. Yep, that was the one that the queen liked. So apparently, so Kate towed the line. But maybe she's feeling like she has a little bit more freedom now. So I say good for her. Yeah, it looked good on her. One other interesting thing from the Easter procession is that we saw Prince Andrew, uh, disgraced though he may be over accusations of uh, sexual assault, uh, you know, that have pushed him from the main fold of royal life. He was walking right behind King Charles and Queen Camilla in that procession, which nothing happens on accident with photographs and optics. And it kind of suggests that maybe he is back in the fold somewhat uh, hmm. with Charles or he's on better terms with them. It, it was very weird. People didn't people didn't really love it. 
Yeah, why he was included in that shot. No. Uh, Some other interesting news. There was a report that came out this week from a new book uh, about the royals that Kate found the day that she had to, or I mean, she had to do this walkabout with a meet people, meet mourners uh, outside of Windsor Castle after the queen passed away. She did so with her husband and also with Meghan and Harry. It was the first time we'd seen them together in a very long time. Oh, and I think we were all shocked. I mean, first of all, we were shocked. all shocked to see this, right? Like no one expected because this was post Oprah interview. This was post Oprah interview, uh, pre Netflix series and pre Spare. So important to think of the timeline there. But William invited them, Megan and Harry, to come with them on this little, you know, like, as they call it, a walkabout to meet the mourners um, together and try and show a sign of unity. And apparently Kate had said to a senior member of the royal family that it was the most difficult day of her life. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, uh, you know, I'll just leave that with you all to take what you want from, from that observation. Yeah, I think that um, we're always looking for an opportunity to sort of take down a royal sure. or to, you know, be critical. And, I and you know, if this is truly the hardest day of her life or one of the hardest things she's had to do, then she's clearly lived a pr- very privileged life. Right. Um, at the same time, I think as human beings, we can all relate to uh, interpersonal conflict and having to navigate that before the eyes of the world. And I'm, speaking hyperbolically also maybe in casual conversation. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, she, I mean, who doesn't it, do that? Right. Like this, if this, this, by the way, is not something that she said publicly. This is something that's been report you know leaked from royal sources in this new book by robert jobson and we always have to question royal sources because they are unnamed so you know i i think that it's not too out of the realm of possibility that if she did say this that it was not necessarily uh it it, wasn't meant for our ears it wasn't meant for our ears and was certainly casual conversation but yeah Who's to say for certain? Nonetheless, Um, it's out there. It's out there. And another revelation from that same book from Robert Jobson, uh, which is has a lot of headlines that's generating. But uh, these are two of the we we found are kind of the more interesting ones is that the queen apparently suggested to Meghan when she joined the royal family that she speak with then uh, Sophie. Her name, uh, she was the Countess of Wessex at the time. She was ma- she's married to Prince Edward, who is the Queen's youngest, uh, Queen Elizabeth's youngest uh, child. Uh, that, and she is now the Duchess of Edinburgh, um, but I digress. And <laughs> she had been a successful businesswoman before she married Edward. She had her own PR company, and the Queen apparently suggested that Meghan go and talk to her about, you know, what it's like and, you know, how to navigate going from a working woman to being a working royal. And Meghan said, I have Harry. That mm-hmm. basically she didn't need Sophie. She she had her her man to help her navigate this transition. Yeah, but given how Meghan did ultimately navigate her transition to royal life, I think we really have to ask, did she have Harry? And you know? was that a good choice? You know, right. like, you know, maybe maybe another opinion, another voice in the room could have could have been helpful. I mean, hindsight's 2020. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, those headlines aside, one undercurrent that we've been talking about uh, during this entire season has been 
the element of race and racism, accusations that the royal family is institutionally racist, that maybe specific members, high-ranking members of the royal family have at least done or said racist things. And the question now is, how does the monarchy go on in the future when there is this sort of, you know, dark cloud hanging over you know, this was supposed to be a joyous celebration of the coronation, but people have these questions about race and, you know, how can a monarchy exist if these accusations are true? So I wanted to bring in a uh, guest, Nazir Afzal. He is a former prosecutor uh, in the UK and a uh, individual who's now the chancellor of Manchester University. He's spoken a lot about uh, issues of race as they pertain to, you know, political questions and also about, you know, Meghan and Harry, um, himself being a, a person of color and a person who has attended, you know, a Buckingham Palace functions. He attended a big uh, event in December of 2022 where there was a quote-unquote race row, race row, uh, about whether a lady-in-waiting to the queen, uh, you know, made some racist statements and got into a sort of racist scuffle uh, with a black civil rights campaigner. On top of that, Nazir is an OBE. He is an officer of the British Empire, a title that the monarch, you know, gives out. So that's something that he received uh, from Queen Elizabeth back in 2005. And I think it's really interesting to talk to someone who, you know, is critical of certain aspects of, you know, the institution of the monarchy and raising questions about, you know, the the issue of race, but is also somewhat, you know, from what we can tell and what I think he's going to tell us, uh, a advocate for the monarchy in some form or fashion. All right. I'm so excited to talk to Nazir, but first let's take a quick ad break. Nazir, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to Spilling Royal Tea. You're most welcome. Delighted to join you. So obviously we are talking about the run-up to King Charles's coronation. There's been a lot of news over the past weeks. And, you know, we've talked to some people across the pond. We're here in the U.S. But I was wondering, are, are people excited about, about the coronation? Uh, I mean, I've sat through and lived through jubilees and um, weddings and, and the like. I've not known anything like this. There's hardly any excitement. Um, really, I think I think there might be because we're still two and a half weeks away, uh, and um, it's sort of building slowly but surely. But I think the, there's been so much um, controversy. I think uh, which has probably taken the shine off the event so far. Mm. Uh, I have no doubt on the sixth of May it'll be a phenomenal event. You know, Britain is very good at pomp and ceremony, isn't it? Um, yes. And uh, I've no doubt that it'll be fantastic and everybody will be watching. But in the run-up to it, Sean, it's been muted, really. Mm. And, and I think that you have to also think of the context. The United Kingdom is currently going through, uh, I'm sure the rest of the world is, but the United Kingdom particularly is going through crisis of cost of living. Uh, there's the war in Ukraine not far away. Uh, there's the repercussions from leaving the European Union. Uh, people are struggling uh, financially. Mm. And I think um, the idea of having a, a multi-million pound ceremony uh, hasn't um, gone down particularly well with everybody. Uh, and so I think um, I think the, the, the monarchy are, are alive to that. So they've 
they've, I think, made some um, cuts, if that's the right word, uh, to make it a little bit um, more uh, acceptable. However, um, every single time you hear something, for example, we learned that the government have spent eight million pounds on portraits that will be sent to every school, right. college, institution in the, of the of the new king. And uh, um, you know, I, previously it would, wouldn't have I, you know wouldn't have batted an eyelid, but now eight million pounds right. on uh, on pictures of the king. You know, um, every so penny it, every, is sort of being scrutinized. Exactly, every little thing. And so, and when they they announced um, the route. Um, I mean, the route, for those who may not know, uh, from Buckingham Palace to Westminster Abbey, where the coronation takes place. In the carriage, about, in, the, in a jubilee in the carriage, carriage yeah. which we've just well, learned. The gold, yeah, exactly. Rather than have the gold carriage go both ways, it's only going one way. Right, because so to... there, for our listeners who don't know, there are multiple carriages, which, are, you know, fancy, uh, you know, some of them more historical than others, carriages yeah. that could be taken on this procession route. And we've just exactly. learned, you know, the details of, you know, Charles Lee leaving Buckingham Palace, going to Westminster Abbey, and then coming back. So we have, as you mentioned, these a different carriage arriving there, and then a gold, yeah. you know, grand and opulent carriage taking taking That's him right. and Camilla back. Yeah, exactly. I think, it's, you know, they want to sort of play down the ostentationness mm. of it yeah, by, you know, having the gold carriage only go half the way. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, it really does. Um, That's the kind of thing we're dealing with, Sean, is that they are making some efforts to suggest that uh, they recognize uh, the state of the nation. And I think that's been, that's difficult when you're doing a coronation. But, you know, then the question, of course, you know, there's so much elements to this. I mean, the president, President Biden won't be coming, um, but the first lady will. And um, President Biden is here right now in the, in the United Kingdom for the Northern Ireland 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. Right. And they're saying, why couldn't he come? And then somebody said, well, no president has ever come to a coronation. Exactly. Uh, uh, you know, all right, it's been 70 odd years since the last one. but um, Right, maybe so, not precedent so, is so important here. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But you know, there are all sorts of these little shenanigans as to whether when you do come, where would you sit? Who would you sit with? Uh, do you attend the, de- the meal afterwards, the meal before? Honest to God, Sean. <laughs> We need to get a life. Somebody needs to get a life. <laughs> so, Nazir, you were at the Buckingham Palace reception that was hosted by Queen Camilla in December, where a uh, a civil rights campaigner uh, uh, was questioned by a lady in wedding waiting, uh, who is also the godmother of Queen uh, of Prince William, uh, the Prince of Wales, about where she was from. And this became a big story because she was pushing on on the issue. You know, it wasn't just one question. And, you know, she is this campaigner is black and she was talking about where she's from in the UK. But the question obviously was very loaded and saying, like, where are your people from? Where is where do you descend from? And, and you had had a conversation with uh, Lady, Lady Susan Hussey Lady as well. Hussey. Yeah. Yes, yeah, I did. Absolutely. I was. I was, I was pretty much the only man at the event where um, you had Mel B and God knows who else. I mean, it was an extraordinary event, and it was it was tied in for in relation to Violence Against Women and Girls Day, which is why um, there were so many activists in the room. Um, and Lady Hussey approached me. I, we all had name badges, uh, and mine's because I was sponsored. My event, my invitation came via the Welsh government, so mine said the Welsh government, and she asked me where I'm from, and I said. 
the Welsh government. And she said, no, where are you from? Mm. <laughs> and I, uh, I said, well, I was born in Birmingham and I live in Manchester, but that wasn't good enough. But yeah, I, I simply moved on. It wasn't important to me, but obviously the experience of the other person was a bit more persistent. Sure. Uh, and, and But was that... Was that just a generational thing? You know, there are people, and unfortunately, who of a certain age, um, older than me even, um, who find it very difficult to talk about issues of race. And particularly somebody who's travelled the world as Lady Hussey has. Maybe she wanted to know where where she was from because she's probably visited that place, you know? But anyway, that's the point is the perception was of racism linked to what we've t- uh, what experienced uh, Meghan, um, Duchess of Sussex, appeared to have had um, linked to other concerns, linked to the fact that you know the British Empire um, is still uh, a live issue, uh, and uh, large parts of the world, you know, the United Kingdom was the had the control of the largest part of the world compared to any but any other um, any other nation ever, and so the British Empire itself is a is a live issue and reparations in relation to British Empire. You've then got the racism potentially um, in institutionalizing the organization. Um, you've, we've just left the European Union, which then also leads to this view that we're somehow, I don't know, better than the Europeans. Um, you know, there's, there's all sorts of uh, complexities mm. um, which um, which which make, make the issue of race a live one and one that the royal family really haven't addressed very well. And the first time, you know, publicly. A, a, a non-white member becomes a royal member of the royal family, and her experience, as, as articulated, has been very poor. Uh, one begins to think, was race a part? You know, it's I, difficult to argue otherwise. You know, I think um, it, it's a very interesting uh, point, and I think the the heart of the questions about you know race and the royal family. One thing that I think is really interesting is that Meghan has made these statements, one can call them accusations about how she was treated by the royal family. But recently, there's been some ambiguity about really how Meghan and Harry, or maybe just specifically Harry, view what happened uh, to them, like while they were members of the royal family, because Harry had this interview uh, with Tom Bradby, uh, you know, in the UK after the release of his book Spare. And Tom Bradby very plainly, you know, said that, uh, you know, Harry and Meghan had more or less accused the royal family of of racism. And Harry bristled at that and said, nope, no, we didn't. Like, no, I didn't. And that, I think, shocked a, a lot of people because that kind of was the takeaway that, you know, uh, many had from that Oprah interview with the conversations about Archie's skin and everything else that Megan shared was that even if you don't want to call people themselves racist, that there were rate that there was racism and that there was racist actions. But Harry kind of, you know, uh, backpedaled on that. Yeah, he he did. And he he didn't. He didn't. Uh, Again, you know, the the diplomat would Mm. tell you that's the right thing to do. It's to try. Is to if you begin, if you want to reconcile with somebody, you begin to put your first view or whatever you said first in a different context. Uh, so yes, absolutely. When 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 they mentioned it in the Oprah interview, there could be only only really be one interpretation. Um, but now, um, you know, then as time has passed, and knowing that you want to somehow resolve this so that you can be a family again, um, you will try and play it down. I think that's what he was trying to do. He was simply trying to play it down. Uh, it's not that important. 
Um, uh, and uh, and what do the royal family say? You know, um, recollections may vary. Recollections you know? <laughs> may vary. The famous phrase. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and that's the reality with life. Recollections do vary. Uh, and I think so. I, I suspect actually. Um, I have no in, in, inside knowledge. I suspect this is all part of the process of some uh, of re, some reengagement. Mm, yeah, mm. Time has he, passed he has... since that interview, and maybe you know this is uh, an olive. That was an olive branch. Uh, uh, that he yeah. was trying to offer uh, yeah. to to the royal family. I think absolutely that. Yeah, at the end of the day, you know, the royal family has bigger things to deal with. Mm. Um, uh, and, you know, there the are Caribbean nations that want independence. Um, you know, they, they, they want to follow in the footsteps of others. And so there's a number of countries who are part of the, of the British Commonwealth that no longer want the monarch, the British monarch, as their um, head of state. And so there are bigger issues mm. uh, that need to be addressed. What do you think is, you know, if you were to boil down, if Buckingham Palace were to bring you in, you know, uh, as a sort of wartime consigliere to get your input on, you know, on this question of, of race and relevancy, what should the royal family do, like the, you know, to not just reconcile with, accusations and uh you know things that have been leveled against them but actually move forward in a positive way on the question of race to say that the royal family is is still relevant um despite its past despite its you know uh sort of despite accusations that it yeah. is based on racism well what they won't what they won't do is a public anything public I mean, we're not going to have a Truth and Reconciliation Committee post-apartheid. That's not going to happen. Uh, it'll be done privately. There'll mm. be a private conversation uh, where William and Harry, perhaps, and their father, potentially, and maybe a couple of advisors, will sit and have a conversation, uh, at which uh, Meghan and and William, Meghan and, and Kate will undoubtedly have a follow-up conversation. It'll be one of those things that, um, if it's not, hasn't happened already. You know, the idea is that... Um, there is a process. I imagine that process is going to be followed. Mm. You know, I, I, so if you going back to optics, if you want the royal family to reassure uh, a Caribbean nation um, that you know getting rid of the monarch as your head of state is not the biggest deal right now, uh, it would be better hearing that from Harry and Meghan mm. than it would would do from uh, William or Kate or from uh, Charles and Camilla. So um, they could be very useful ambassadors uh, on the worldwide stage. And I think that's the that's the leverage I think Harry and Meghan have um, to uh, enable them to get back in, so to speak, uh, into relative good books, uh, but at the same time uh, also be able to do so on their own terms. Uh, Kate and William have generally received more support than Meghan and Harry in the UK uh, on social media, in polls, and you know, in media generally. I think that's you know fair to say. Uh, just sort of taking you know the temperature. Meghan and Harry, uh, again, there are generational issues or you know generational divides to maybe be discussed, but they do seem to be, for lack of a better word, hated by a big chunk of the population uh in the uk you know there's I think a that's too strong i think that's too strong you think it's too strong, too strong. yeah absolutely i mean i was in a, a railway station bookshop the other day and there was uh prince harry's book on the front there are two women i don't know who they were talking to each other one was going uh, i would never buy it and the other was going why not i'm, I'm sure it's a really interesting read right i, I think you know if you read the newspapers uh and yeah you know, I, I, I used the word royal sources earlier on 
um, for a reason. There is a reason why we have royal sources. Mm. Every newspaper in the United Kingdom has royal correspondence. Right. They live off. They live off what they're told and what they receive, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I, I, it's not a case of fifty percent or sixty percent in favor of Kate and William and forty. Actually, I think it is a generational thing. Mm. I think if you ask most people under thirty or forty. Certainly, young people, they're very supportive of Harry and Meghan, very supportive of Harry and Meghan. Um, and, um, and I think, but the point is, why why are we getting so worked up about right. um, this, 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 whatever tension they may have? At the end of the day, you know, they both lost their mother. Uh, a lot of people, we haven't touched on Queen Camilla, by the way, <laughs> uh, uh, a lot of people are upset at the fact that it's not Queen Diana. You know? Right. I mean, uh, it's something I'll tell you candidly, you know, for myself in a personal, you know, in a personal story. I mean, like you think about it, right? Like if you had an, any sort of affection or affinity towards Diana, you do think about, you know, what might have been. And there I think there were a lot of people who, you know, uh, loved the idea from, you know, certainly anecdotally loved the idea of when she was married to Charles of thinking of Diana being queen. I mean, we do that. We do. But the same thing, Sean. It's going to the woman that was having an affair with her husband while she was married to him, mm -hmm. according to according to her and other sources. So you know it it just doesn't feel uh, right somehow. Mm. Uh, and of course, initially um, she was going to be the queen consort, right? As if it means anything. Uh, but now she will just be called Queen Camilla, which you know people are saying. Well, I didn't vote for a queen. Camilla, you know? Well, they didn't vote for anyone, right? <laughs> yeah. But you get, you get their point. Their point is that they right. were, that they've been... Well, and before uh, she was supposed to just be princess consort, right? You know, I mean, yeah, like, the yeah. line keeps keeps moving, and it's not surprising yeah. given that, you know, Charles can kind of do what, it, it, you know, more or less what he wants on this subject. Well, he, he can. Of course he can. And, uh, and but it, but it, you just add that to the, to the debate and the discussion, which might, might suggest why people are not as looking forward to this mm. with the same um, desire and, and ambition they would have had if it was, I don't know, didn't have any of uh, any of the shenanigans around it. Right. Um, but, it, it, you know, as I say, it's a soap opera and um, um, it'll go on and uh, it'll carry on. I think there are questions about the monarchy, which, yeah. you know, is, is it still relevant? People are asking, it's amazing, people are asking that question that never asked that question before. Well, that's uh, what I think that's an interesting I, I think that's an interesting point, right, is that because because Queen Elizabeth reigned for as long as she did, because the monarchy was taken for granted in, in some ways and because she was, I think, more or less a if not, you know, more generous than this, a benign figure to many. Uh, yeah. Now you have you're being people are being forced to think about the monarchy. And I wonder, you know, what you see. Uh, on the ground there and what you've heard in terms of what conversations about what the future of the monarchy is or may be. And also just, you know, from your own, uh, you know, yeah. personal point of view, you were, you know, you're an OBE, you know, mm -hmm. officer of the British Empire uh, made by, you know, Queen Elizabeth in, in 2005. Uh, I, I'm curious, you know, how uh, how you feel uh, about the monarchy and where it goes from here. I mean, as I said, I think um, the days when there were more dukes than than there are in hazard uh have gone now <laughs> you know uh literally there you know in under under uh, until recently until queen's passing there was a duke of this and a duke of that the royal family was enormous mm. and um and people it didn't have the respect it deserved everything focused on the queen 
yeah, whilst the Queen was here, and, and, and God bless her, she was uh, a real force of nature. Um, she did uh, have a sense of people did not have, want to have a conversation about the monarchy while she was the monarch. Right. Um, but now that she's not the monarch, there are people now having open conversations about what, what the monarch should, monarchy should look like. I think the broad view, and my view is um, a slimmed down monarch of the type that you have in Europe, um, where you have a king and a queen and maybe a, a couple of princes and that's it, or a princess and that's it, you know, uh, and everybody else can fend for themselves. But of course, there is now a larger group of people that are questioning whether we need a monarchy at all. Right, which uh, is a conversation that, you know, has never, I think, happened. never happened as much and is gaining steam, yeah. I think. Very much so. I mean, there was obviously, there have always been Republicans, but um, there's never been... A, Republicans, a by the way, in the UK, very different than yeah. Republicans in yeah, the US exactly. for They're our American yeah. listeners. Yeah. Exactly that. Um, people who don't want a monarchy are Republicans in the UK. Uh, and there have always been those, but it's just ordinary people who... Think well. Hang on a minute. Does it a bit, bit? It seems a bit stupid and a bit foolish mm. to spend all this money on all this this estate. You know, the largest estate holders are the, are the royal family. Um, then why don't we have a, a president you know, like you have, or why don't we have uh, some a state figure uh, that we can look up to for four years, five years, and then have another one? You know, right? Um, and I think that's that conversation. We never had in this country, mm. not in a sizable way. I mean, there was always that small group, but I think people are beginning to have that, and that's that's unfortunate. Um, you think it's unfortunate? I think it's unfortunate because it it would be a seismic change uh, for how the United Kingdom operates. The United Kingdom has, as you know, a parliamentary democracy, and we vote for our prime minister. We vote for parties. We vote for our prime minister, uh, and at the end of the day, that works. And the the monarch is an advisor. Mm. And, but if you start electing a president, uh, people will be wondering. Who really has the power? And right. I think that I think would, would be problematic. The Queen never had, you know, the monarch technically has no power. Uh, well, I'll, you know, right. Tell that to the Australians because you know ultimately they can get rid of the government. The Queen, you know, monarch. Right. Can. The monarch can, you know, technically yeah. has the power to dissolve Parliament and ask for a new government. Exactly that. But but and also to refuse to do so. Right. So if the prime minister, the prime minister of the UK went to the king and said. I don't think my government has any confidence. I want to. I want to resign. He can say, "No, no, you stay. Get back to work. Uh, get back to work. Uh, your election is in January 20, 2005, 25. Right. Um, you have a so, term uh, to know, serve. There, there is that power. Yeah. There is that power. But it, you know, the idea of it being used in the twenty first century is um, extremely remote. Speaking of the idea of monarchy in the twenty first century, there is, as you say, a growing movement of people who are questioning whether the monarchy. Uh, has a place in the world we live in today. There are people as well, you know, I mentioned that, you know, you have uh, an OBE. There are people such as Alan Cumming, uh, the actor who has, you know, turned in, uh, you know, renounced his OBE because of yep. the toxicity of empire. And I'm wondering, yep. you know, uh, the, that, for individuals such as yourself, you know, they you do support a a version of the monarchy um, in this world. Is there a tipping point for you or for, you know, others, you know, su that you see such as yourselves who uh, value a slimmed down monarchy? But is there a tipping point where it no longer becomes, uh, you know, worthwhile? I, th I think it was it will come. I mean, it's difficult to say what it would be, but, mm. um, you know, given how toxic things are. I mean, it's not far away. I mean, something terrible could happen. I mean, one could imagine um, something happening to Harry and Meghan, for example. And I think you could argue that the controversies with and the tensions with Harry and Meghan 
and the royal family are very much a you know a propellant behind that movement. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and and there will undoubtedly be. And of course, Andrew is another example. There will undoubtedly be, or the lack of focus on Andrew compared well, to Harry yeah, and Meghan. Exactly that. So it doesn't feel fair. If it doesn't feel fair, then why do you support something that's not fair? I mean, at the end of the day, I'm a lawyer first and foremost, and it's all about fairness and justice. And, mm. and if it feels unjust, well, it's, why should I be supporting it? So I think there is that at the moment. They, at the moment, the, the jury's out. Want a better term. Um, and I suspect there'll be a honeymoon period off the coronation, regardless, hopefully as long, as long as nothing terrible, you know, no punch up at the at the Abbey. But um, if, as long as everything goes as one anticipates, there'll be a bit of a honeymoon period. There'll be some time for reconciliation. They'll find a way through this and they'll be able to manage going forward. I think um, if it, that, that doesn't happen and if they're still sniping at each other, um, you know, in, in between the you know the hedgerows and, and and throwing stuff at each other from across the Atlantic, then I can imagine a lot of people thinking, well, I don't want to be part of this. Nazir, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much for for joining us and sharing all your insight. Look forward to talking to you again soon. Cheers. I really think that Nazir's perspective and his experience is so valuable, Maggie. Like when mm-hmm. we're talking about this this fundamental question that about the future of the monarchy, which is really right. I think, you know, the crux of many of our conversations and I think it's so interesting that he does believe that there is a role, you know, for the monarchy, but also is speaking to this question of reform of, you know, uh, reckoning with colonialism of the past and racist implications of the present. Exactly. And looking at, you know, Meghan and Harry's role in the future of the monarchy, I thought it was fascinating that he said, Mm -hmm. you know, that Meghan and Harry could be and maybe should be really essential to the monarchy surviving, like bringing them back into the fold in some ways as ambassadors, or at least, you know, saying, like voicing their support more for the monarchy rather than sniping at them. And that's going to be a big question whether we ever get back to that place. Yeah, it was a really balanced reflection on Meghan and Harry that surprised me because a lot of what we have heard from the UK is just straight up criticism and vitriol against Meghan and Harry. And so he offered something that felt balanced, tempered, and, you know, even spoke from his own experience. Exactly. So until next week, I'm John Mandel, and thanks for listening to Spilling Royal Tea. Spilling Royalty is a production of the TMZ Audio Network. It's produced by Maggie Van Dorn. Wild Young is our in-studio producer. Make sure you never miss an episode and subscribe or follow Spilling Royalty on your favorite podcast app. And if you like the show, share it with a friend or someone you know who likes to spill the tea. You can also help us grow the podcast by rating and reviewing Spilling Royalty on Apple Podcasts. I'm your host, Sean Mandel. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk next week. <laughs>